we're going to work with some uh, images today. Just picture in your mind someone who is uh, mm, curled up in a fetal position. Isn't that a pleasant image? You know, just sort of. So I even brought a picture in. It's sort of a, you know, I don't know if you can see it. Isn't, isn't that welcoming something you would get excited about? No? Let me just suggest that that's where a lot of people are in the world today. And this is a book called The Gravity of Sin. Uh, it just represents um, the problem of sin as basically being curved in on ourselves. It's an issue of struggling as in the Garden of Eden. Remember what happened? God is walking in the garden and Adam and Eve were hiding in the fetal position, hiding themselves, covering up, figs, whatever, covering, and ashamed, naked and ashamed. And I think that that's, even though they had been naked before and they were not ashamed, but now in chapter 3 in Genesis, they're in this new position. And I think in a lot of ways, our, our hearts are sometimes feeling like we're in a fetal position. We're just going, oh, I'm not ready for life. I don't know that life is working for me. And I think that's the, the, the contrast to what I want to also offer. And this is an image I'm going to uh, pull out of uh, John before we move into our theme for the morning. Um, uh, that's from chapter 7, where Jesus is speaking uh, to uh, a group at a, at a festival down in Jerusalem. And he's uh, speaking here about... Um, the invitation he's offering, he said, whoever believes in me, I'm picking it up in 7 verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So there we have the second picture that I want to have, an artesian well, just gushing with water, just clear, pure water. Picture yourself up on a mountain where you've been hiking hard, and there you discover an artesian well just coming out of the side of the mountain, bubbling out, water pure and clean that you're able to drink without any hesitation. That's the other alternative. That's what God is offering us as we move into our relationship with Christ. One uh, position we once had, a fetal position. Now what do we have? Freedom to absolutely pour out the love of God in our hearts. And so the question is, how do we get there? And the answer is, abide in Christ. And so the theme of abide is, uh, we just noted, is, is our um, target issue. Uh, and I, I'm doing this because one of the questions, one of the books I've read is uh, the, the Nine Marks of the Church. And I thought, you know, there's really a couple of marks that weren't included in that book, and I want to just emphasize them. The mark or the indicator, uh, by this all men will know that you are my disciples that you love one another. We also saw the earlier one that we looked at on Tuesday. Uh, by this, all, uh, If you abide in my word, you'll know the truth and uh, the truth will set you free. And that's what a true disciple is. So what is it to be truly disciples of Christ? What are the markers? What are the indicators? To abide in his word and now to abide in his love. We want to unpack that a little bit. I, you know, the, the word love is such a foggy word, you know. It is used and abused, but we still need to talk about it because we all need to be loved and we all need to love. And as we go forward, I want to just pray and ask that this would really be a fruitful time. Father, I do ask that through your son, by your spirit, we could have a good time of engaging you and being engaged by you in our sharing this morning. I pray, Father, that uh, we could be moved in whatever measure we are 
needing to be moved from that old fetal position of our fallen, curve, curve, curved in on selfness into the joy that we get to have as a, 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 having you pouring out the streams of living water, the love that you would have for us. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Give me words to speak in his name. Amen. So as we go forward, let's go to John 13, uh, uh, and I want to read 31. Actually, I'm going to start a little earlier than that. Uh, so John 13, we'll pick it up in um, an awkward place where Jesus is offering the Last Supper. This is, um, there he is in the upper room, and as he's speaking, he's troubled in his spirit. We pick that up in verse 21, 13, 21, and... Um, He's talking about his being betrayed. And so there is this exchange with the disciple whom Jesus loves. That would be John. And uh, he says, who's, who's, who is it? Who would betray you? And so Jesus picks it up. Um, we'll pick it up in verse 29. Some thought that it was because Judas had the money bag that he decides to go out. And, and Jesus was telling him, uh, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give him something to, to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately, immediately went out and it was night. Now, what's striking about this is Jesus included Judas Iscariot, who he knew was going to betray him in the Last Supper. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Isn't that amazing? So you have the mercy, the grace, the caring love of Jesus right up to the end, even for one who was going to betray him. And that is a scene of love that I think boggles the mind. And I think sometimes we have people whom we should love that we're just saying, I can't love that person. But look at the love that Jesus is offering right up to the end as he has the betrayer walk out. Now, what's really striking is that's the context for what, what we read next. Let me pick this up. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. There's a few words called glory in here, aren't there? This whole idea, this is, I, I'm being betrayed. I'm going to die hours ahead of me. Now we'll, the cross is just hours away. Oh, now the, the God of all grace is going to glorify me. So there's a strange reversal that goes on here between what we would think of as glory and what Jesus is calling glory. Glory is going to come in his death on the cross. And so we have this remarkable upside-downness. And Jesus, even after he sees his uh, betrayer go out, he says, little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, uh, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. So when he, he's later on talking about commandments. Keep this one in mind. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's the second sign of what it is to be a disciple, that you love other people. Okay, is that fair? So in your love-a-meter, you know, your, your, heart, your heart thermometer, that's a question we have to ask. How are we doing in terms of moving into that love that we are 
going to have as a demonstrator, as an indicator of where we stand and where we live? Well, let's explore how that unfolds. What we find in chapter 15, where we want to spend the rest of our time, so let's move ahead to that. We find Jesus talking about um, what it is to have this ultimate basis for love and what this ultimate basis of love does, how is it expressed and how does it transform us? And so that's the picture that we want to unfold. We move here to another image, and that would be the image of a vine and a branch. And so that's the key to chapter 15. Let's read it, and uh, then we'll unpack it a little bit. We pick it up here. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified, if you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's that artesian thought again, that when we start to abide in his love, we start to have what Paul eventually identifies as the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, and other additional pieces, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, etc. So what we have then is this transformation that Jesus is now offering to his disciples as he is reaching the end of his ministry on earth. So what do we need to learn about the ultimate basis for love? What's, what is it to have this love that he's inviting? It starts with God. It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship. And I want to go ahead and read something I read yesterday with the, with the faculty and staff from a book that I hope you all get a chance to read before too much longer if you haven't read it already, Delighting in the Trinity. Have any of you run into this book? I see a hand, one or two. This book, I just am going to recommend. Put it on your must-buy list. Uh, I know Mike. He's the guy that uh, wrote it, Mike Reeves. And he is a a guy that was a a speaker in the UK uh, to various colleges and universities, Christian groups. And it sings. It just has a guy who knows how to speak to young adults, uh, basically sharing his heart. And in it, he... uh, picks on a guy named Richard Sibbs, who was my uh, focal figure when I did my doctoral studies. So let me read a little bit of Richard Sibbs here and talk uh, about this theme that we have here. He says, Mike, as he picks it up here, he says, people usually think of Puritans as a pinched and frostbitten lot, sour, picky, and bluntly so boring that pigeons could roost on them. Well, some of them were, but not Richard Sibbs. Sibbs, a rough contemporary of Shakespeare, was a Puritan preacher and a theologian who spoke so winningly and kind of the kindness and love of God that he came to be known as the honey-mouthed preacher. 
Yet it was not simply that Sibs was born with a sunny disposition. He himself was adamant that it is our view of God that shapes us most deeply. Okay, do you get, get that? We become like what we worship. Now, I just happened, I'm going to pause for a second here. This morning in my Bible reading, I do the Bible read through, and I got to the passage in Exodus, I think it's 32, 33, and here's the problem of a man who had a skin condition. I don't know if any of you know what that's about, but a skin condition called fluorescent face. Okay? Moses goes up on the mountain and he hangs out with God and he comes back with a bad case of fluorescent face. He is just so shiny, no one can stand to be around him. They say, put a veil on. Man, you are just, you are utterly distracting. Cover yourself up, buddy. Now, what we have here is another image that's really remarkable. And what God is offering to us is fluorescent soul. We don't have fluorescent face, but when we get to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, guess what's offered to us? The, the transition from glory to glory as we start to be, have our hearts become shinier and shinier as we have that work of the Spirit in our lives. And so that's what uh, Sibs is talking about, or... Um, Mike is talking about as he talks about sibs. We become like what we worship. The glory of God starts to appear in our hearts as we start to overflow with the love of God that is present in us through the Spirit. And sibs clearly saw the triune God as winning, kind, and lovely. He spoke of the living God as a life-giving, warming sun who delights to spread his beams, this is quoting sibs, and his influence in inferior, that is lower things, to make all things fruitful. Such is the goodness, uh, such a goodness in, is in God as is in a fountain or in a breast that loves to ease itself of milk. That is, God is simply bursting with warm and life imparting nourishment, far more willing to give than we are to receive. And that he explained is precisely why he created the world. Why are we here? I'm going to give you the answer out of Richard Sibb's mouth right now. If God, Sibbs wrote, had not a communicative spreading goodness, he would never have created the world. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was, apart from the fact that God delights to communicate and spread his goodness, there had never been a creation nor a redemption. That is sweet stuff, folks. And I want to suggest that the challenge I'm going to put before you as you do Bible school, Bible study, I've done that for many, many years, and it's, it's classroom stuff that can be really dull if you don't have the appetite to taste and see the Lord is good. And the moment you have God there is the one you're chasing through all your studies and saying, Lord, I want to know you today. I'm going to go to the class today, and I am going to pull out of the course the class, the opportunity that, that I have here, more of you than I've had before. Show me your face. I must know you. Let me taste and see your goodness. So that's the sort of thing that I think um, we want to start with. Where does love begin? In the overflow of God's communion. God is a, a, a remarkable uh, being in that um, he loves himself. He is one who within himself has and expresses love. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that uh, love is a transitive verb? I, I th did I mention that on, on Tuesday? 
Let me, let me just underline that. I, I used to teach, I'm a, okay, I'm trained as an English teacher. That's why I have to bring it up. And you know, transitive verbs, intransitive verbs, you got that down, right? Okay, let me remind you. <laughs> an intransitive verb is a verb like I am. There's no subject-object relationship. A transitive verb has a subject-object relationship. So for instance, I have an object here, I'm gonna throw it. It's, there's action, I'll take it back here, thank you. Hope I can catch it, there we go. So you, you catch the issue of transitivity? There's, there's two-ness involved in it. How can God love unless he exists with space for love to exist as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God? And that's what we find our, we're invited into and what we're reading here today and what we're looking at today is a relationship so full of love that God, in fact, in 1 John 4, twice is called love. God is love, twice. And you go, has love, uses love, draws upon love? No, he is love. In other words, the, the, the label for God is love. When you talk about him, you meet the one who is love. And what we find also in 2 Corinthians is another statement about God that's really striking. Just before the chapter 3, where it talks about our moving from glory to glory, as our hearts are exposed to knowing the, uh, seeing the glory of uh, Jesus Christ who reveals the image of God. What we find there is Paul saying now, he says, what we have as Christians is the aroma, the fragrance of what? The Christ-to-God relationship. And it's that aroma, that fragrance, we move to another image here, that is then extended through us as we go out into the world. For some, he says, we are the smell of death to death. Because people who are still curled curled up and curved in on themselves, there's no appetite for someone to pull them out of their gravity. They're very satisfied to be self-concerned even though it's a terrible place to be. But once a person starts to feel the gravity, the the attraction of the living God, calling, pulling, drawing, what happens? We start to smell the fragrance of God's love, for we are the fragrance of the Christ-to-God relationship. For some, it's the smell of death. For others, it's the smell of life. And that's what we get to offer to the world. So going back into our text again, I kind of go off into little cul-de-sacs here. Uh, What we have is this transitive um, uh, verb with the love of God as the touchstone for what love is. So when we think of love, consider the object of love. It's not the love of love that we're talking about. It's the love of Christ that we talk about. So if I'm going to talk to someone and say, what you need to do is do more to love. You need to be more loving. You have to have a more loving disposition. You need to be com- committed to love people. But notice the question is, and what is the love you're offering? If it's not the transitive love of the love of Christ, who knows what you're offering? It may be the love of an experience. It may be just, I love experiences. So let me go off to a worship center where lots of songs give me a sense of experience. The experience of the love of Christ is what is the real thing. And if we chase experience for experience sake, we actually start to drift off into new directions that may not be so helpful. 
What we want to do is say, Jesus, I'm here to know you and to have that experience of the love of Christ who then reveals the father-son relationship to us. So that transitivity is really a crucial issue as we see how it unfolds here. And I thought it would be useful to um, bring in a guy that I think is most helpful in terms of talking about the ultimate basis of love, Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards was a, a Christian who lived in the 18th century, and he wrote a book, uh, a, an entire sermon series on uh, chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which is oftentimes in our day just reserved for wedding services. You know, okay, it's a wedding, let's go use uh, 1 Corinthians 13, what we call the love chapter. But what Jonathan Edwards does is he says, no, no, this is not a love chapter just for wedding services. It is the motor. It's the, the fountain for all of life. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And so with that, let me just take a quote as he writes about love as the sum of all virtue. He says, love is from the same spirit, spirit that God has influencing the heart. It is from the breathing of the same spirit that true Christian love arises, both toward God and man. The spirit of God is a spirit of love. And when the former enters the soul, love also enters it. God is love, and he that has God dwelling in him by his spirit will have love dwelling with him also. Okay. So the question is, what's the source of love? That's where we started. And the source of love is ultimately God. And how do we have the love that God offers us? And the answer is by the Spirit who pours that love out into our hearts, Romans 5.5. 5. And so this is the, you know, the start of where is this love that I have to offer to the world? The answer is it's the love of God poured out into my hearts. And that's how we, we become living fountains of what God has to offer. So what then is the ultimate expression of love? Have any of you been loved? Do you have any sense of what it is to be loved? Can you think of when you say, yeah, what is it to be loved? No. To be loved is to have someone care for you in a measure where you're, you're aware that they're more concerned with you than they are concerned with themselves where they're reaching into your life, maybe speaking truth, it's not always easy. Sometimes love has a rough edge to it in terms of having to sand off some issues that need to be confronted. Sometimes love is simply the supply and the giving. I've felt loved as I've been hosted this, uh, this uh, few days, as I've been well cared for by you guys and, and, uh, and by Glenn and Nancy. It's just been a sweet time. But to be loved is something we recognize and it's something we can describe more than we can define. And I think the ultimate description of what love is is going to come in the text we're reading. Let me pick it up here in chapter 15 again in verses 12 and following. Now this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know where his master, what his master is doing. 
but I've called you my friends. For all that I have, all that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love one another. What was the measure of that, that love that we just found here? No greater ha- love has anyone than this, that someone lay down his life for another. And Jesus is speaking this And that's why I went back to the context of chapter 13. He's speaking this minutes or really dozens of minutes away from the time that he's going to go down and the betrayal is going to take place. Jesus is close to being crucified. And so when he says, okay, here's the measure of love I want to give to you. If you really capture or are captured by the love I'm offering you here, here's what you'll do. You'll give yourself up for your neighbor's in a way that is so sacrificial that you're even ready to die for them. And I think at that moment, you start to find real relationships form when you have someone else who starts to trust you. Let me ask this. Have you, do you find people you can really trust? You know, do you have, think of people that you just trust beyond measure. You know, anything you say or do with them, they are trustworthy. Isn't it true that someone who is really trustworthy is going to sacrificially, even if they need to, do anything dangerous? You know, I can think of war pictures where people will throw themselves on a hand grenade to save their friend. You know, that sort of thing. I'm ready to die for you. That's how committed I am to you. And I think that's what we start to see is the nature of God's love poured out into our hearts where we're no longer curled in on ourselves, but we now start to reach out to those around us with the kind of love that Jesus Christ expresses in going to the cross. So only the Spirit produces this. It's a work that He alone can accomplish so that we're set free from the gravity of sin. The transforming power of love is found in verse 10. And I want to just mention that as a a touchstone issue here. Uh, He said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So as we start to talk about this, the question of having this love working out in our lives starts to go back to the word abide. The word abide is pictured by the vine and the branch. When I am abiding in Christ's love, it's not something that I come to and come away from. You know, sort of today I'm going to abide, tomorrow I won't. You know, this hour I'm going to abide, this hour I won't. Instead, the very nature of abiding is the ontology, the, the, the complete devotion of one to the other, where we have the presence of God dwelling in us. And with that presence, we start to have the life and love of God starting to pour out of our lives, pour out from our lives. And um, that begins to be the experience that others have around us. So in that spontaneous birth... Uh, We have what John talked about in our last passage on Tuesday. If God were your father, he said, you would love me to the group of faulty disciples. And so that's what we come to, this love of God revealed to us in Christ that we start to share with others as we start to be the fruit-bearing grapes. 
Let me comment on the issue of commandments, though. We find, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is love equal to commandment keeping? This is a bit of a controversial thing we have to talk about and think about. Jesus says, just as I have kept my father's commandments, so I've loved him and he's loved me. And it sets up this idea of maybe it goes in both directions. That, and that was true of uh, the, the Roman Catholic uh, belief that faith working itself out through love is an actual function of my willpower working hard to be a better Christian. And that that's what love is. Love equals obedience to commandments. I think what we have to do is recognize that the analogy that he's offering us with the fruit, the branch, the vine, the branch, the fruit, is it runs in one direction. So that the fruit or the product of abiding in the vine is the commandment keeping. So that this is the product of love. The nature of love is it produces fruit. It's not that the fruit produces growth in the branch or in the vine. It's, the, it's only one way. It's unidirectional. And so at that point, when we start to ask the question, where am I at as I live my life and I have the commandments of God before me, what's the motor? What's the source? What's the nectar that's starting to pour out into fruit-bearing productivity. It will be the commandment keeping that God has us, invites us to do. So, my question is, how do I do this in practice? If it's God's work in me, what do I do with that? How does it actually unfold in my life? How does it take place? I'm going to tell you a personal story, okay, about my brother. My brother when I came to faith at Clydehurst, I was 16. He's three years younger, younger than me. So that meant he was 13. And I had an older brother. And he was an athlete. And I was trying to compete with him. I was trying to be as good as him. I was trying to, I could care less about my younger brother. I just was concerned with my older brother and competing with him. I was kind of curved in on myself. And that's what I realized when I met Jesus, that the uncurving started to take place. That's what happens. The Spirit is the one that bonds us with others. And that's the nature of his love. And all of a sudden, I realized there at Clydehurst, oh, Lord, I have made a mess of my relationship with my younger brother. That has been a disaster because I have been careless towards him. I haven't paid any attention to him. And he's wanted me as his next older brother to to be a friend, and I wasn't a friend. So we went to Spokane right after we finished at Clydehurst, after I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and I said, Dave, oh, let's be friends. And he's going, I'm busy, Ron, I'm sorry. I'd already blown it. it. I had blown off the relationship. It was gone. And I'm going, oh, Lord, what do I do? So from that point on, I have prayed more for my younger brother than you can imagine. I pray for him day and night. And over the years, he was the black sheep in the family. And I'll tell you what, his wool got blacker and blacker and blacker. And he got more distant and distant and distant. And I was heartbroken because I realized, boy, I have something to offer my brother and he's not able to receive it. What was interesting, though, is my mom would say to me occasionally, you know, Ron, 
Dave really wishes he could have a relationship with you. He just doesn't know how to do it. He just doesn't know how to do it. And I said, well, I don't know how to do it either. <laughs> I love the guy. I just don't know what to do. I would do. One time I took him to a Seahawks game. And I thought, good, we'll have a chance to just bond. In the last 10 minutes, 20 minutes as we were coming back to his home where my car was, where we were going to connect, something came up as a conversation point where I just couldn't agree with him. And I didn't say anything. I didn't disagree with him. I just went silent. And he goes, you are always on me. You are always trying to judge me. You are always, you know, I'm going, well, what did I do wrong? Oh, Lord, I was trying to build a relationship, and I didn't know how to do it. Okay, after that explosion, I realized, Lord, I don't know what to do. Oh, by the way, how old was I at the time? I was in my 60s, and David was in his late 50s. How many years had I been praying for Dave? A long time, a really long time. David had gone through one marriage. He was now living out of marriage with another gal. And um, this seemed like there were all kinds of barriers. And so what I did, as I said, Lord... If I'm going to be an artesian well, if I'm going to be a fountain of your love, I don't know how to do it with my brother Dave. Could you please coach me? Please, Spirit of God, come and speak to me that I can care for my brother and love him. And it was funny because just as much as at Clydehurst, I had that, you know, why don't you try reading your Bible, dummy? I had the grace of God speak into my heart, sort of like, how does your brother think you view him? What's, what's your perception of David and what's his perception of you? And I'm wondering what that's about. And then it dawned on me. My brother was a remarkable guy. He's a Cobra helicopter pilot while he was in the Army, top gun, you know, just the best. And oh, by the way, also a fireman. What every little kid wants to be, that's what he was. He grew up in, he was a leader of leaders. He's a, you know, a remarkable guy. But I recognize this, he's a helper, and he would help anyone that needed him. And I went, he thinks I don't need him. So I wrote a note to him, I just wrote a note. Dave, I wanna tell you that I'm not sure you see me properly. And could I tell you how I see you so that you can understand how I just would like to get a barrier out of the way. I said, you are a rescuer. You're ready to help people. You'll die for people. If they need you, you will meet their need. I said, Dave, you see me because I got a doctorate and he finished high school. You know, and for him, that seemed to be a big thing. He had a divorce. He knew that that was an issue, that then he's living with a gal not, he's not married to. He just, barrier, barrier, barrier. And I said, I want you to know, Dave, about your being living with Pam right now. I said, that's between you and God. You can have that conversation when the time comes. I'm not, your I'm not God's policeman, okay? We spoke about it once. That's enough. You know where I stand. You know where you stand. You can talk to God about that, but I'm not God's policeman. Don't think I'm his sheriff. I just want you to know that I need you. I want to have a relationship with you. Would you be so kind as to move me from the category of someone who doesn't need you into being someone who does need you? Four months later, he and Pam got married. He started reading his Bible. He's ferocious about reading his Bible now. Every time I talk to him, oh, I've been reading this, and oh, this is really exciting. Oh, the Lord is so good. He's come into a living faith in the last five years in his 60s. And he is tasting and seeing how good the Lord is. Now, here's the point. How do we 
turn from being curled up and self-concerned into someone that's really overflowing with the love of God? And the answer is let the Spirit of God do that. Let the love of the triune God whose spreading goodness is so profound that He can change any hard relationship. He can open your heart up to people that are just hungry to know Him. And He can also coach you in how to give your heart away to those people. So here's what I want to say to you, and I have to conclude here. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Recognize that your relationship with Christ is going to show up wherever you go. And may it be a, a relationship of deepest love and devotion because he loves you and is devoted to you. Let's pray. Father, I just feel like I, I wasn't sure how to say these things, but Father, I know that you're spreading goodness is something so profound that this uh, delight that we have in you is going to show up in every relationship we have. And I pray that that would be true of each one of us here, that we would enjoy you more than ever before and abide in your love, abide in your word, and taste and see and offer to others what we have. In Jesus' name, amen.